When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. This is the GM Shuffle. These 75% of these games come down to four points or less, and people keep turning down threes. I, I, I bet you Andy Reid will take a little bit of the same approach that, that Staley takes today. I would rather have the ball in Mahomes' hand than Matt Amendola's foot. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. I'm your host, Femi Abebefe. Michael, we're now into the swing of things in the regular season. Week two is here, and we got a fun one tonight, but we got to talk about what we saw on Monday night, before we get into anything <laughs> week two related, <laughs> I mean, I'm still in shock. I, I'm still recovering from that. I mean, you know, uh, it, it's to me, there's so many ways we can go on this, but I, I think the first way to go is the fact that it was premeditated. And, and here's where I'm coming on this one. Mm-hmm. I, I have always had a problem, and I've said it on this podcast before about football coaches not copying basketball coaches in timeout settings. So, for example, when the Super Bowl occurred and the Bengals got the ball back, I've said on my prior podcast with Adnan, uh, after that game, I said, look, if I were Zach Taylor, I would have called my offensive staff together. I would have said, look, I want my best players on the field. Here are the eight plays we're going to run. Make sure everybody knows what we're doing. All we got to do is get in field, makeable field goal range, and we'll get this game in overtime. We might score a touchdown. Okay. So... That didn't happen, obviously. Sam J. Perrine is still eating, eating, you know, <laughs> running on the field on the third and one. Okay, so to me, this game really was a situation for Nathaniel Hackett to practice that exact thing. Because let's go through it, Femi. Mm-hmm. Seattle got five first downs in the second half, okay? They got three on the first drive that they had. They only gained 26 yards, 10 by penalties, and they punted. The next time they've got the ball, they got two first downs, and they punted. They only had the ball, Denver had the ball for 20 minutes in the second half and were only down by four points. So to me, and they moved the ball up and down the field. We know that. So I thought Hackett should have called his offensive coaches together and said, look, fellas, we are, we are going to, we have to play our best players. We got to put our best guys on the field. We're going for it on fourth down until we get into makeable field goal range. Like this, this premeditated, if we get to the 46, we're going to kick it. Like, whatever happened to common sense? Like, common sense is, that's a hard kick to make. That's common sense, right? 100%. And I think watching it live, I couldn't believe it. I actually went back, because I was doing our show here at VEASAN during it, so I didn't have any of the audio. I went back home, and I watched the broadcast just to see what Joe Buck and Troy Aikman said. And looking at Troy Aikman's face as they were in that timeout there, because I think they all thought that, all right, they're going to go onto the field and run a play on fourth and five. And you can kind of see the moment where he sees Russell Wilson still hanging out on the sidelines. He sees McManus starting to run out onto the field. He looked as confused as anybody. We were all confused that maybe they were trying to freak the Seahawks out or something. It didn't make any sense, given the fact that they had three timeouts. That's the part that I can't get over. Well, I mean, to me, it, to me, the reality of it was, it, you know, as I sat there and Bella's snoring in my ear and I'm watching <laughs> the game alone, you know, and when, when Russell went to the sideline, I said to Bella, they're, they're kicking a field goal. I mean, and she grunted like, are you kidding me? And went back to sleep. But the rea- I said, I could tell they were kicking the field goal. Wilson took his, hat, took his helmet off immediately when he went to the sideline. Go watch it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, know what, I don't know what Troy and Joe saw, but I saw it immediately from my seat 3,000 miles away on a delay. So, like, once I knew that, I'm like, what are we doing here? Like, there was no plan. Like, there was, I'm going to keep using this word, there was no strategy involved. There was no strategy involved in this at all. And it was a complete 
a complete miscalculation. And, and I think to me, it goes back to an old adage that I've often said many, many times. The goal is to not get into field goal range. That's not mm-hmm. the goal. The goal is to get in makeable field goal range, right? I don't give a shit if you have a great leg. You know, those kicks over 40 yards, they're harder to kick. You got wind, you got, you know, all those things play into a factor. Pressure. You want to take it as far down as you can. I want to make sure that ball's going through the uprights. I don't want to have to hope. Don't ever confuse hope for a plan. So I, I to me, that whole game, that entire game was completely mismanaged. I feel bad for Nathaniel. You know, being a fu- son of a head coach before Pitt, Paul Hackett was the head coach at USC, he was mm-hmm. the head coach at Pitt. You know, you would think that the game management stuff would come easy, but the reason I evaluate coordinators and the reason I evaluate head coaches in my power rankings is was evidenced by last night, by Monday night. I'm sorry. Does Russell Wilson shoulder any of the blame in that situation? Because he's in his 11th year. Should he call timeout or is it the coach has to make that decision? And if you're Wilson, you got to just go with what the coach says. <clears throat> I mean, look, I thought Russell Wilson looked like the guy that we saw last year in Seattle. You know, I think he led the National Football League in week one in yards after the catch on throws. But what doesn't make it bad, it just means that the offense and the system were giving him a lot of yards. I think 260 of his 350 yards came from yards after the catch. Run with the football afterwards. So there were a lot of easy throws for him. He never escaped. When a defensive lineman almost caught him from behind, you know, and he threw the ball away, that told me he can't really move. Now, look, last year he had one game-winning drive in the games he started. You know, which is way down. He's had 30, 30% of Russell Wilson's wins in his career have been in fourth quarter comebacks. That's why he has always been a mm-hmm. better's nightmare. I mean, a better's nightmare. You, you know, he has, that's why he carried a lot of points in Vinny and all the guys who handicapped teams because he had so 30% of his wins in Seattle, Femi, are from in the fourth quarter comeback. Think about that. That's a remarkable number, right? Yeah. But yet on that field, I didn't fear him. I didn't fear him. I, I saw a pedestrian-type player, a guy that can't really move out of the way, that's going to just did, didn't really accept it. You know, Now, he's, his QBR rating was great. Well, that's great because what does that mean? They didn't win the game. At some point, the QBR, did you do enough to help your team win? The answer is no. You had the ball 20 minutes in the second half, right? You moved it up and down the field. You went for it on fourth and one inside the one, and you turned the ball over twice inside the one. I mean, like that's your own fault. That's your own fault. You're watching the same game I'm watching. Seattle was never moving the ball in the second half. They were were never moving the ball. As much as Seattle gets the praise for winning the football game, they were bad in that second half offensively and even defensively. Denver was moving the ball up and down the field. They just couldn't execute inside the five-yard line like you talked about, the three fumbles at the goal line, one on fourth down and one on third and goal. So, yeah, this, this Denver team, I don't know if it's time to panic just yet because I think offensively, they still were able to make some big plays. They average almost seven yards per play, but the defenses are going to get a little bit harder than what they see uh, later on this season versus Seattle. That defense being a little bit younger and still early on in their process with Pete Carroll and that coaching staff. Uh, I, I worry uh, about Seattle's defense, oh, man. Yeah, I, I mean, they were getting carved up. <laughs> I mean, they were getting car- they were getting carved up on basic West Coast offense plays. And can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. Like, you're watching the game. You're watching Melvin Gordon. You're watching Williams. Who do you want on the field all the time? Oh, Williams. It's not even close, right? Yeah, yeah, it's Williams. Like, why would I? T- I mean, I would integrate Gordon in the games in the first and second quarter, maybe, and a little bit there. But in the from the middle of the third all the way to the end of the game, it's Williams's team. To me, it's Williams's team. He's got to be the guy. Like, this is ridiculous that he's not the guy. Like, I, I don't understand it. I saw, I don't know if you noticed, I saw a lot of frustration in the Denver receivers towards Wilson. I felt like they were like, look, I'm open. I'm not getting the ball. He was taking too many easy throws. Tell me a hard throw he made in the game, Femi. A lot of them guys were running wide open. Wide ass open. Not even open. Wide ass <laughs> open. And I wonder how much of it is, because I remember I read in Peter King's column about Russell Wilson talking to Nathaniel Hackett about trying to get the ball out of his hands quicker because that's been the knock on Russell Wilson throughout his career, even when he was younger, of him holding onto the ball too long, making his offensive line look bad. I know people in the Pacific Northwest, they talk about that a little bit. 
it was Wilson trying too hard to get the ball out of his hands quickly because in the second half was when we saw him start to actually target some of those receivers. But in the first half, I mean, Javante Williams was targeted 12 times, 11 receptions for 65 yards. Some of them were explosive plays in the screen game, but he really looked like he was making a concerted effort to try to get the ball out of his hands. Yeah, I mean, it looked like, I mean, that, and everybody thinks that's a wonderful thing, but sometimes as we know, you know, you got to get the ball you, you got to hold the ball for a tad longer just to make the throw. Mm-hmm. You got to have to take a hit. I, I saw, I mean, I think it's been evidenced by he hasn't really wanted, he doesn't want to run with it anymore, Femi. He rushed for 183 yards last year. You know, I, I, I mean, he doesn't want to move around. Look, and that's normal for most quarterbacks, right? They get hit so much, it, it, it becomes like, like in the game, tennis, Jacksonville versus Washington. I mean, Lawrence, for his ability to keep his eye level down after taking the beating that he took, is remarkable. It, it takes a lot of courage to get the shit kicked out of you and still keep your yeah. eye level up like Joe Burrow has had to do and even had to do this past Sunday. No, he definitely did. Uh, Dak Prescott also got beaten up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers there. Unfortunately, the injury that he suffered was kind of on a fluky play uh, with that hand injury, the thumb to be exact. They're out six to eight weeks. Jerry Jones is thinking that maybe they can go four to six because they're not going to place Dak Prescott on injured reserve. But what did you make of Mike McCarthy, the head coach, saying that Dak Prescott will be in the building because he's still on the 53-man roster but will not be on the practice field? Here's what McCarthy told reporters on Monday. Quote, there are threats out there that we want to be cautious about Dak Prescott. Have you heard of anything about Prescott? Just Is that normal for a guy to not be on the practice field, even though he's on the 53-man roster despite being injured? Uh, you know, I, I would say probably he's inside trying to get treatment. Like, mm-hmm. he's got to be working on the things he can work on. I mean, what's he going to do at practice? Just watch? You know, stand around? I, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know what's, you know, I think I would rather have him, I would rather have him work out. I would rather have him get treatment. I would rather have him do the things he's capable of doing than coming out, helping. Mm-hmm. I mean, we got enough coaches on the field. He's not going to coach the team. So I don't know really what, what could be made of that. I really don't. Yeah, Dak Prescott, him not going on the IR is fascinating to me. I hope they don't rush him back to try to save the season because if he even goes out there and he is not 100%, we've seen that with other quarterbacks trying to get back too soon to where they just don't look good and it hurts the team. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how it's going to, you know, quarterbacks and thumbs, to me, I, I think that's a yeah. bad recipe. I, I would be surprised by that. Yeah, no, I, I'd be I'd be very surprised as well. He's going to be on the headset. I'm not buying, I'm not buying Jerry's oh, four no, weeks. No, I mean, like no, I said before, Jerry can talk a cat off the top of a fish truck. He could sell anything. <laughs> I mean, yeah. so like seriously, yeah. like I'm not buying that one. Yeah, if, if you're fluent in Jerry, you know that he's just blowing smoke there. He wants fans to stay engaged and not check out on the season, but it's going to be the six to eight weeks, I would guess, and probably lean more towards the eight since it is the thumb on his throwing hand there being the right-handed quarterback that Dak Prescott is, but he's going to be involved on game day with a headset on, maybe chiming in, giving some tips to Cooper Rush. So we'll see how that works out. I'm not too optimistic about my Dallas Cowboys as we sit right now. We'll talk about that game later on here in this episode, but it's going to be a tough, tough sledding with Cooper Rush as the QB1 for the Cowboys. But Michael, let's oh, take boy. a... Let, yeah, let's, let's, we'll, we'll save the Cooper Rush thoughts for when we talk about that game, but let's take a quick break here. We're going to discuss Thursday night football because I got a doozy in the AFC West between the Chargers and Chiefs next year on the GM Shuffle. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance, see dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. 
All right, Michael, we have the Amazon Prime Thursday night football showdown between the Chargers and the Chiefs over at Arrowhead Stadium. It's going to be a really cool atmosphere. I saw they painted the end zones, the old school kind of 1960s AFL Chiefs style there. So it's going to be a fun atmosphere between these two teams with great quarterbacks and Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes, both of them blue chip quarterbacks, according to you. Right now, over to our show sponsor, DraftKings, the Chiefs four-point favorites with a total of 54, expecting some fireworks out there on the field. Uh, what's your first thoughts on this game here between the Chargers and the Chiefs? I mean, I have it as a four point four point one two five game on my power rankings. You know, I mean, look, I, I thought the Chiefs were executed extremely well last week. I thought Chris Jones, the inside defensive tackle, was outstanding. You know, he was able to be, you know, he was so disruptive. And when you're disruptive as an inside tackle, like like he was in that game, and you have a little quarterback who can't see, you know, all of a sudden he's got to take off. I mean, you know, you could fit two Kyler Murrays inside of Chris Jones. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's like, like this is not good. So, you know, I felt like, to me, I know the Chargers played well, but with all that being said, with all that being said, there still was a chance for the Raiders to win the game with 3.30 to go, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think the Raiders kind of shot themselves in the foot more than anything. Look, the key to to playing the Chargers is simply this, and I I know Keenan Allen's not going to play tonight. You can't let Mike Williams go off. And I would suspect the Chargers are going to do everything in their power to get Mike Williams going down the field. Against against the man-to-man coverage, they're going to try to take as much as they can possibly be. But, you know, I I think... that has got to be the mandate. They've got to get it down the field. Keenan Allen's the possession control receiver. Mike Williams is the guy that they, when he makes plays, they score in the 30s. And the Chiefs will be without Trent McDuffie, their first-round pick at corner. He's on the short-term IR, so they'll be a little bit banged up in that secondary. But offensively, did you come away impressed with what you saw from the Chiefs in week one? Because it was the first game without Tyreek Hill. They've been talking all training camp and all offseason about we're going to diversify our weapons. It's not just going to be the Hill and Kelsey show. We're going to get a multitude of guys involved here. What did you take away from the Chiefs from their week one performance against Arizona and now spinning it forward to their game tonight against the Chargers? I think Andy Reid did a good job this offseason of understanding what, what he has. I mean, Schuster, he knows what he's got with him. Hardeman with the speed, you know, dialing in some of those runs, being, you know, changing up the formations. I mean, remember when they had Tyreek, they were an 11 team all the time, right? They were in one back, one tight end all the time, and, you know, you had to deal with it, and people just played off of them. I thought Mahomes was better. I thought he was more accurate with the football, and I thought that they were able to pretty much do whatever they wanted to do. Seriously, I, they were impressive. Now, it'll be a little bit of a different challenge. Orlando Brown, you know, he's got a bad knee injury. Not a bad knee injury. He's, he's been bothered by a knee. He's got to play. You know, they, they've got to be able to get him to where he can handle the, the Mac coming on. And then the right tackle's got to handle the uh, Bosa coming off the edge. So this will be a challenging game. I think it's also a game about kickers, right? I oh, mean. Yeah. You know, Harrison Buckner's, you know, he came back to kick the long one, but you know, he's gonna, you know, he's gonna be he's got an ankle injury and I don't know if he's gonna play or not. I I don't think the final word has been on that. And then I, I don't I don't trust the Charger kicker at all. Do you trust him? I've never trusted a Chargers kicker. <laughs> Hopkins, I've seen Dustin too Hopkins. much. I, I don't. Tr- yeah, I've I mean, seen too much. Yeah, I said Charger kicker. His name's Hopkins, but I agree with your line. You know, how do you trust any kicker from the Chargers? No. <laughs> yeah, I've seen, I've seen way too much dating back to the to two thousands to where the Chargers always have troubles in the kicking game here. But the Chiefs are going to replace Harrison Butker with Matt Amendola who was with the New York Jets. They picked him up on their practice squad, now elevated him after Harrison Butker has that ankle oh injury there. So it's Amadola. Remember his debut last night here for Robert Salai? Oh, my God. It was bad. I don't know what week that was. That was bad. It, it, was, it, was, was, bad. it was really bad. And that, that might was, affect – Oh, boy. <laughs> it, it, I mean, that's got, that affect me in a four-point game, a three-point game. Like, <laughs> you know, again, I'm going to keep saying this on this pod. Like, these 75% of these games come down to four points or less, and people keep turning down threes. I, I, I bet you Andy Reid will take a little bit of the same approach that, that Staley takes today, especially yeah. with the field goal. Like, I don't think he's going to try very many 45. I think he'd rather go for it than – I would rather have the ball in Mahomes' hand than Matt Amendola's foot, Right. Yeah, 100%. I would, unless, it's, unless it's just, I got to kick this kick. I, I, I think that's the way he's got to go with it. But here's what I would say. And I said, that, I don't know if I said this on Monday, but to me, one of the issues that I don't think we're talking enough about on, on these fourth down attempts is I truly believe the defenses are 
are ready for them more than they've been in the past. In 17, when Dougie Peterson started this, I'm going for it on fourth down. It kind of caught a lot of people by surprise, you know, the, mm-hmm. the traditionalist in the game. You can't go from there. And he did, and he was successful, right? So, but now we are five years later, Femi. Five years, a long time, right? Yeah. And, I mean, there's a lot of time in the offseason to study it, look at it, how we want to handle it. And the offense is kind of like it used to be when you went for it on fourth down on your play sheet. You had your play sheet had two point plays. You had two two point plays when you need to make a two point play. So if you were going to go for it on fourth down, a lot of times the offense coordinators just looked at their two point play and said, "We'll run that." Right. Well, now they got to have a whole section for fourth down plays, and so does the defense. Okay. And the defense knows where the ball's going to go. You know, I mean, how many times can you get away with running sprint right option on fourth and one? Uh, it still happens. I mean, you know, it was the play Dwight Clark scored in the Super Bowl, but mm-hmm. it's st- it's been going on since time immemorial. But the reality of it is, is I think the defenses are more ready for it now than ever. That's interesting that you bring that up, that now defenses have fourth down packages ready to go. And oftentimes, I think when you see anything that's fourth and five or shorter, the defense won't even really put their punt return team out there. They'll get a return man out there, but they'll still be lined up in a defensive formation, almost ready for some sort of fake or anything that might come on fourth down, just given that over these last five years, we've seen teams be a lot more aggressive in making these decisions. I just think it's something that is always cause and effect in the NFL. We're seeing it happen. Teams are more creative, especially in the red zone, right? You know, so, you know, like Frank Wright's going to keep going for it inside his five. Mm-hmm. might cost him his job. It literally might cost him that his job. That read option play was some- horrible. I mean, at some now, look. If, if, in fairness to Frank, if if uh, Pierce catches the ball in the end zone, they win the game. But that's yeah. that was an inexcusable. They got seventeen first downs in the fourth quarter. I mean, they moved the ball like it was ridiculous to lose that game. But again, he turns down points. Like at some point, you're watching the game. Like I'm watching. Seattle was never moving the ball in the second half. Like take the points, take the points. But anyway, I just think defenses are more prepared for it. I think I think also what's happening is the third down calls also don't really set up the fourth down calls. You're right. So like with with let's take Andy Reid for example. It, bef- Matt Amadola, before I send it, say I got a third and eight, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm not gonna say I want to get to fourth and four. I hate I hate I hate third and manageable. I ha- I hate that terminology. I think it's ridiculous. But anyway, <laughs> like I may call a play on third and eight that I know I may come back with something else on fourth down. I'm playing two plays here, right? I think that goes so it goes into your vernacular. It goes into your kind of preparation. You know, I'm going for it here. I'm not going for it here. I'm going to take the points. I mean, it's kind of a pregame mentality. I think as you go into this game tonight, I think if I'm Andy Reid, I'm not putting the ball on Amadola's foot as much as I don't want to turn down points, unless it's inside the, you know, unless it's a chip shot. In fairness to Frank Reich, I mean, Rodrigo Blankenship got cut and he went through waivers, so maybe that's why he was going for it on fourth. And but didn't Frank, hey, Femi, didn't Frank watch Blankenship for, I mean, how long has he been watching yeah, him? I mean, you know, it's been a, it's like, been a while. At some point. I mean, you, and then I always get this back from people. Well, you know, look, the kicker's not reliable. Well, I mean, I know that. They get a better kicker. Draft a kicker. I mean, the Brownies drafted that kicker because they knew they needed one to compete with Tucker, to compete with Boswell. I mean, they had to, yeah, right? McPherson and McPherson. Well. I mean, the North has great kickers. You don't have one. You're going to lose those close games. J.C. Jackson, the free agent acquisition from New England, is a game-time decision. He missed Sunday's game against the Raiders. Sounds like he might be able to give it a go coming off of that ankle surgery from earlier in training camp. How does he change this Chargers secondary? Well, I mean, he, you know, they are obviously going to play man-to-man, and you know, they're going to kind of allow him to kind of do what he can do against the receivers and feel like he matches up, whether it's Schuster Smith, whomever they put there. I think he probably feels like he can match up to that. So it gives him another cover guy. You know, it gives them one more cover guy. Uh, you know, it gives them basically an all-pro player, another all-pro player on the back end of their defense, which you, 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 can't, really, you, you can't really fault that, right? You got that going for you. So I, I just worry about a guy coming off an ankle injury. Is he really going to be healthy enough to really, against a high-level players of yeah. the Chiefs? You know, because they run routes hard. I mean, Schuster Smith is, is like he's going. 
I mean, I didn't see Vandell scowling. I, I didn't really see the other guys as much, be as, but I thought Hardeman and, and, and Smith were exceptional in that game. Who wins tonight? What's the score? I, I'm going to go, you know, I, I look, I think the Chargers, without, without all their weaponry, I, I think it'll be a close game. I don't trust the Chargers in a close game. I think the Chiefs win it. I do. I think the Chiefs have confidence in them. I think, I think the Chargers... At last week, we're fortunate. I don't know if they can be fortunate again. I, I, if I had to play this, I would probably take the Chargers and the and the points. Mm-hmm. But I think the Chiefs win. Yeah, I'll say Chiefs by seven. Uh, I don't think it'll be by three because we know that the Chargers aren't going to be those balls playing out field there, goals. Way to go, drop them, man! So, I love yeah, it. Yeah, go ahead, Chiefs, drop it. Chiefs by seven tonight uh, on Thursday Night Football. But I think it's going to be a really fun game. I could see thirty-one twenty-four. Somewhere around there being the yeah. score here. And I, I, it'll be a fun one. I think if the Chiefs the Chiefs could blow coverages, they're very capable of that. But if Chris Jones plays like he did last week and they Oof. get something out of their, their defensive front, it, they're hard to play. But look, we haven't even talked about Herbert. Herbert's sensational. I mean, he is so damn good. Yeah. And nothing phases this kid either. Like nothing. The two best throws I saw on social media on my Twitter timeline were the end zone angles of Mahomes to Kelsey and then Herbert to Allen. Just phenomenal throws if you haven't seen them i'm sure if you just search their names you'll pop up but the all 22 of those really does it justice about how good these guys just are on the other side michael we're going to talk about the quarterback showdown from sunday i don't think these guys are quite at the level of herbert and mahomes we're going to discuss it next here on the gm shuffle all right michael it was a slop fest i would say in chicago between the 49ers and the chicago bears but Over at the 33rd team, they had Mike Martz evaluate the tape and talk about both Trey Lance of the 49ers and Justin Fields of the Chicago Bears, and he came away unimpressed with what he saw by the two second-year quarterbacks. Here's what he had to say on Trey Lance. I have this quote. He says, I've never seen anything about this kid that was encouraging at all. He really has to plan himself to make a good throw. He's not a quick decision guy. Everything about him being a mobile guy and making plays with his feet, he looked like a fullback stumbling around trying to run the ball to me. He's not Lamar. I don't know what he is. He's not particularly good with running the football. Your thoughts on Mike Martz's evaluations of both Lance and then we'll get to Justin Fields as well. I mean, I agree with him. And I I, I think to me it takes, you know, he's willing to say what he thinks. Look, you could say what you want about Mike Martz and these idiots on Twitter. You know, well, he had JTO Sullivan. Like, who do you think developed Kurt Warner? Like, seriously, who do you think developed him? Do you think it was Dick Vermeil? I mean, so let's get things in perspective here. John Shaw, the president of the St. Louis Rams, is going to fire Dick Vermeil. He's going to fire him after two years because it was a disaster, a complete disaster, right? And he tells Vermeil, I want you to hire Mike Martz. Vermeil doesn't want to do it. He wants to control his coaching staff. He's got all his cronies with him, Jerry Rome, Al Saunders. He's got all the guys that have been to war with him before. I'm not doing it. Well, if you don't do it, you're getting fired. And so he did it. And guess what happened? Trent Green comes out of nowhere. I mean, excuse me, Kurt Warner comes out of nowhere. They had signed Trent Green, too. Mm-hmm. Remember? So he hires March. They signed Trent Green, who was developed by March in Washington. Then he develops Kurt Warner. So this nonsense that I see on Twitter, these experts that want to knock Mike March. Like, look, there are very few people on planet Earth, and I mean very few people on planet Earth, that can evaluate the quarterback and can coach the quarterback. Very few, right? It's And Mike March is in that very few category. So, like... Does he make mistakes? Fuck, we all make mistakes, Femi. We all blow some things. But in terms of developing the quarterback, getting the most out of him, he sees it. What he said about Lance is true. My question to you is, how in the hell can Lamar Jackson be the 32nd pick in the draft and Trey Lance be the third? I wondered that during the draft process, especially from Lamar's end of things. He was productive as hell at Louisville, won a Heisman Trophy, elevated that program playing in an ACC conference versus – Trey Lance being in the North Dakota State machine over there in the FCS to where no disrespect to the FCS, but he has the best program and the best surrounding pieces around him on that North Dakota State team. So I wondered it, but clearly the Niners and others maybe as well saw something in Trey Lance. Well, I think this, I think they don't have a grading system. Here's why I think they don't have a grading system. Because to me, when you have a grading system, a college grading system, right? It doesn't, every draft isn't a single entity, right? Every draft isn't just it's on its own. Every draft is all the drafts. So you have to go back and look at the grades that were given, your final board from prior years. And the advantage you have from doing that is you know how the player played. I was wrong on that guy. That guy's a hell of a lot better than I thought he was. That grade was too low. 
you can adjust the grades. So now when you're grading the player that in the current draft, you have a point of reference to the backdraft. See, the one thing people misconfuse confuse with they, they think I don't like analytics. I do. I do because I'm in the we're in the information business. You need all the information you can get. I like applied analytics that's applicable to the situation. I don't want it to be, well, you should go for it on first uh, on fourth down in the first quarter. Well, the you know how I feel about that. So, <laughs> to me, to me, it, it, it's how does it do it? Like, if I were John Lynch and I was in the draft room in San Francisco and I saw that we gave Trey Lance a 75 grade and the terminology read, this guy will be a blue chip player, blah, blah, blah. And then I know we gave Lamar Jackson a 62, let's say. Something's wrong here, fellas. Like, something's wrong. Like, how can we give this guy this grade? And this isn't first guessing. This this isn't second guessing. This first, how can we give a guy who's playing at North Dakota State level of comp? We haven't seen him in an All Star game mm-hmm. against a guy who's got three years of production at the highest level of college football and won a Heisman. Like, how do we have that imbalance? How? It's a fair. Like, how question. do we have it? I mean, that's the only question you should ask. Like for any personnel director in the National Football League that doesn't go back and ask that question, he's really not a personnel director. He's an area scout with a title. That's what he is. He's an area scout with a title. He doesn't understand that the draft is all the drafts. Like he's all the drafts. I mean, you're telling me we're going to give this guy a 75 and we gave Lamar a 62 when we watch, let's go watch them both in college and see who's the better player. Well, you say, well, we yeah. were wrong on Lamar. Okay, we were wrong. But how, if we're so wrong on Lamar, why are we so right on this guy? Especially that, if that's you my point it. of bringing it up. Yeah. yeah, that's my point with bringing it up. It's like, you know, March is right. Like, tell me, like, March just didn't watch one game on Lance. He watched him at North Dakota. He watched him. He knows that Lance was going, if he wanted to go to Minnesota, it was going to be as an athlete, not as a quarterback. It was going to be as a free safety or a linebacker. It wasn't going to be as a quarterback. Does he have a great arm? No doubt. You know, your guy, Jake Locker, he had a great arm up there in Washington, but he should have been a running back, not a quarterback, even though he got drafted in the first round. Yeah, he was top 10, Jake Locker, back in the day. I keep it was coming- a joke. I went to that workout, <laughs> Femi. I went to that workout, and I wrote on my notes, this is a joke if someone takes him in the first round because he was an athlete playing quarterback. He was never a quarterback playing the position. I keep coming back to with Lance, though, Part of the reason why I think he doesn't look that great, and some of it is the lack of quarterback instincts or maybe the issues that he might have, the deficiencies, but he just hasn't played. How much of this is that the fact that he hasn't played and he needs to get some of these Femi, reps here? Femi, Femi, you, you, no. You sound like these guys on ESPN. But, but Femi, you, no. But can, no. You get, can you get better on the no. sidelines? When your mama lifts you from your crib, when your mama lifts you from the crib, you were either a quarterback or you won't. You were. That's it. That's a, I'm just going to say it just like it. when your mama lifted mm-hmm. you, when my mama lifted me and I strained her back, I was not a quarterback. I was a catcher. Okay. Yeah, I, was I was a, a nine-pound baby knew it. as well. She, yeah. I mean, she knew it. You know, I mean, that is it. You're not playing quarterback, kid. She told me that from the first day. It's a crib thing, man. You have to have it. You got instincts. You got feel. It, it's not a made position. It's not like, okay, we're going to drive it into you. It's a feel. Some guys have the feel. They just don't have the skills. Like, like I say, like the Duckster. Remember the Duckster at Pittsburgh? He had a feel for playing. The, he just didn't have enough skill. He didn't. God didn't give him enough talent. He had this. He had enough. Uh, he had enough feel. The 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 thing. Lance, what? He just doesn't have that. It's a. It's an instinct. And more isn't going to help him. More can cover up some of the problems. But once again, when the game gets into the fourth quarter. And this is where I think we lose sight of. This is where the QBR shit and all that crap. It watch the fourth quarter when you've got to throw the ball. Can he make a throw? Can he make a throw? Couldn't can't and he couldn't do it. One guy who didn't make a throw in that game, and it might not have been the prettiest performance. Definitely wasn't when you looked at the box score. Justin Fields made the necessary plays in the fourth quarter to elevate his team to winning that football game. Martz really wasn't too kind on Fields either. <laughs> Fields now has played a little bit more, but he hasn't played a full 17-game season as a starter for the Bears. Where are you at with Fields, and do you agree with March's evaluation on him? I, I do. I've been holding out judgment on Fields because I haven't liked what I've seen since the beginning. I haven't liked what I saw at Ohio State. I never thought he was, I never thought he was the real deal at Ohio State, but I've kind of like, okay, I'm going to let this keep going. You know, mm-hmm. I think he doesn't have that innate instinct. I don't think he has that, okay, the in cut's going to open, I'm going to bang it in there. I don't think he has rhythm or timing. I think he's a great. I think he's a really good athlete. 
that's playing the position that can make all the schoolyard plays you need. I mean, throw to your left, throw it back to your right. Yeah, no worries. But in terms of running an offense, like I don't know what offense he can run. Like I, when I watch Lamar Jackson play football, I visualize an offense that would Lamar Jackson be absolutely great in. When I watch Trevor Lawrence play, I can visualize an offense that he would be really a lot better in. You know, I'm not saying they shouldn't be in shotgun. I'm not saying they shouldn't be RPO, but I can visualize it. I, I haven't been able to do that with Justin Fields. He's, his his accuracy is not great. His timing isn't very good. His rhythm. I think March said something that's profound, and I give him credit for saying it. Takes guts in this world because Twitter's going to rip his ass. The, the worldwide leaders got experts over there. None of them have coached a quarterback in their life. Are going to tell you that you know this is what it is, right? So. I mean, all I keep saying to myself every time I watch a quarterback, what I start with is the guy looking over my left shoulder here in this office, would he like him? Would he like him? Mm-hmm. And when he, if he watched Lance, he would not like him for the reasons that March said, the foot quickness, the movement, the plant. Would he like Fields? No. You know, wh- who would he like? You know, remember, it, 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 it's not just because a guy's not playing. Steve Young couldn't do shit in the World League or at Tampa. He was a disaster. Everybody wrote him off, except one guy. Except one guy. Because he saw in him what he could do. He saw in Rich Gannon which Rich, Rich Gannon could do. Instantly. Instantly. Because he knows what he wants for the position. I just don't see that. I don't know what they're going to do with Fields. I really don't. And for our listening audience, the guy who's on the left shoulder, Michael Lombardi, is the great Bill Walsh there uh, with the photo of him and Joe Montana. Fields, though, great assist, I, I, Bill. Great assist, Femi. Great assist. Thank <laughs> yeah, you. No, I got you. I got you. Uh, I, I'm still in on Fields. And one of the reasons why I'm in on Fields is just stay there. I, go with it. I, 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 I go I, with I, it. I, I don't I don't think he has the, the pieces around him. I and mean, we did the whole blue chip, red chip series. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the Bears didn't have a single offensive player on oh, either of terrible. our lists. T- the roster, t- it's bad. I mean, and, and let me say this. If Ryan, if Fields doesn't work out, Ryan Poles has done more to destroy. Ryan Pace, excuse me, has mm-hmm. done more to destroy a franchise than maybe anybody, maybe anybody. You know, trade for Trubisky, trade for Fields. I mean, and then this roster. Yeah. And they kept him. They kept him. I mean, he almost, you know, they, they fired him. Like, he, mm-hmm. it's amazing. And, of course, naturally, he got another job. Of course. Of course. Why wouldn't he? Talented. <laughs> I guess it's about a whole who you know there. But I, go, think, I, I mean, go with it. Go with it. I, I Go no, with it. I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm you a, know, I'm look. a believer in Fields just because I think what I saw in the playoff game at Ohio State, this kid, he's talented. He's a tough SOB to crack his ribs and then still play in that game against Clemson and play better than Trevor Lawrence in that game. And yeah, they got blasted against Alabama in the national championship game. And I get that this is college. Everyone says, oh, this is college or whatever. What does that mean for the NFL? But I still think he showed those glimpses in that college football playoff and played decent enough while being injured against Alabama to where I don't want to write him off. And I'm very intrigued by Luke Getze and what this offense can be. That slop fest that we saw this past Sunday, it's hard to judge anybody on it. And March brought that up. He said, hey, you're going to have to make some throws in bad weather. That's just the NFL. And I agree with that. But that game, there was standing water on the field. It's hard to get any sort of judgment on anybody offensively. I think by the end of the year, we will have a firm evaluation on what Justin Fields is. I could be wrong. He might be bad and he might not have the instincts. But I think by the end of the year, we'll start to see some promising signs for him in Chicago. Well, I think if he's great, you know, then the Bears should be great quarterbacks can tend to, you know, cover up some things. And I mean, Deshaun Watson, I thought was great. They won four games with them. They won four games with Davis Mills. So it's hard to cover up in this league today. I get that. But we'll see. I mean, I, I think it's good. You stick with it. I mean, look, I, I think you stick with it and stay. And at the end of the day, we'll see where this goes. I mean, look, everybody told me I was nuts about uh, Mitchell Trubisky, that he was going to be great. I mean, uh, the same Twitter experts that are killing me now are killing, were killing me then, those guys. You know, same ones that killed me on Jared Goff. How's that working out for you? <laughs> Goff and the Lions are 0-1, but they're favored this week. Maybe they'll get a victory against the Washington Commanders. Speaking of this Sunday, we're going to get to Sunday's slate on the other side. One more final break here on the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi. All right, Michael, before we get out of here, let's take a look at Sunday's slate for week number two. And I want to start in Jacksonville, where the Jaguars are hosting the Indianapolis Colts. Indy, right now, four-point favorites ever at our show sponsor, DraftKings, total sitting at 45.5. This is a place where the Colts have not won since September of 2014, but you think that might change this coming Sunday? 
Well, I asked Steve, I asked Steve Mackin, and does a great job for our VSIM website. And, and if you go to listen to some of the things he writes about, it's tremendous. And, uh, you know, he had a, I asked him, I said, what is the, what is the, uh, what are the numbers for a team that opens up twice on the road? We have it this week with, with New England traveling again to Pittsburgh and Indy traveling again to uh, Jacksonville both road games to start off. And since 2019, the road team in the second game is 8-0 and against the spread, 7-1 and straight up. I mean, it's wow. just astronomically favors, the, which has surprised me. And the team that's opened up with two home games is is six is 7-8 and against the spread. Like, it's not very good. You would think it would be different because you're playing at home, but it's not. I mean, I like this Jacksonville game because I think when you watch Jacksonville, they ran the ball effectively on Washington. They just didn't run it enough, right? Mm-hmm. They just didn't run it enough. And then they, they didn't keep Lawrence upright. Like, I, I'm still on Lawrence. You know, we had that debate about fields. And, and, and Lawrence, to me, hasn't lived up to the level that he needs to play. I think a lot of it is, is how he's coached and the mechanics of his game. I think he could really use some more discipline in that. But I think this is a fun matchup between the coordinators, Femi. I think Frank Wright knows Doug Peterson. Yep. Doug Peterson knows Frank Wright. I think that, you know, when when Frank Wright goes over to Gus Bradley, he says, hey, here's what gives Doug trouble. Here's what we need to do. And then I think ultimately, can Peterson tell Mike Caldwell what Frank likes to do? So to me, it's kind of a little bit of the personalities between the two. And that leads itself to a close game and a good game. I think a lot of people are going to take Jacksonville the points here. When it is two coaching staffs that know each other pretty well, does it just come down to the talent on the field or can the coaches still make an impact on this game? They can, but it, it comes down to the fourth quarter because once you make an impact, like I can remember we were playing Al Groh. He was in New England. We played Al Groh in, and he was the defense coordinator in England. We were in Cleveland. We ran an inside fake trap against his cover two, and we hit the tight end in the seam, right? And so we tried to run it again in the third quarter. It got picked off. Like you can't, once you declare what you want, they're going to adjust to it, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to adjust to it. You can't run it again. Like you're not going to be able to get away with that formation, that look, and do it. So I, I think that's the, it's going to come down to the fourth quarter and doing what you want. Because see, what, what, the, what fans don't understand is both these teams' protection schemes are known by each other. And so once you know the protection schemes and the rules within the protection schemes, then that allows you to attack the quarterback in a certain way where you're getting a free runner, but it's just not like the fans think, oh, they're blitzing. No, there's a strategical element to blitzing. You want to get the blitzer free. You want to get it either throw the ball hot or you want them to go, go hit the quarterback. Like you just don't want to blitz the blitz. You're blitzing. It's called blitz the formation. It's automatic blitz the formation. So you're having calls. And when you know somebody so well, it kind of eliminates some of that. Or it enhances it if you haven't changed what you're doing. Let's go over to Cleveland, Michael, where Brownie the Elf will be on the 50-yard line, the new logo for the Cleveland Browns. But they're hosting the New York Jets. Our buddy Robert Sala going to try to get his first victory of the season here. Uh, Browns laying six and a half. Totals at 39 and a half, so it's expected to be a low-scoring affair. But could you possibly lay near a touchdown with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback? I can't. No, I, I think he'll have a hard time. I mean, look, he Chubb's great, and so is Hunt. But you're not going to win a lot of games throwing for 143 yards. And I, and I think the Jets' defense will be fast. I think they'll be after, I think they'll get after. I mean, they held Baltimore to 250. Baltimore had, mm-hmm. what, 23 points in the game. Uh, the Jets played way too much defense. You know, they, they, they were on the field too long. I think it's a hard game for Cleveland because if, if they can stop the run, which they should be able to do, they build their eight-man front to stop the run and force Brissett to have to make some throws, I, I think they have a chance to keep this as a close game. And as long as Flacco doesn't blow it for them, as long as Flacco doesn't make a lot of mistakes, then I think they got a chance. Look, the Jets' offensive line's got to worry you a little bit. You know, with the tackle situation where they are, they start the rookie at right tackle, fan at the left tackle. That's got to worry you. But in the end of the day... They they got they can manage around it and I, and I think to me this is a great this line I think is off balance I really do I know my jet line is a little bit screwed up because it, a lot of it goes into last year's but I have this as a mm. five point four game and if you're getting six and a half I think it's a take jet yeah I like the Jets I bet the Jets God bless me and <laughs> and let's hopefully God get some, bless you so let's get some luck come this Sunday Giants and the Panthers is a fascinating game in the Meadowlands we know the New York Giants coming off the dramatic victory over the Titans this past Sunday they're now two point favorites Daniel Jones a favorite in the NFL against the Carolina Panthers total 43 and a half what's your read on this contest 
Well, I, I think this Daniel Jones is a great example of you can't look at QBR, right? Okay, so like Daniel Jones, 17 for 21 in the last game. Outstanding, right? Got sacked, turned the ball over again like he typically does. Throws an interception like he does, right? I don't know how he had such a high quarterback rating when he had two really negative, play, really bad negative plays. But that's a whole other story. You know, and, and they did a great job of giving him a lot of easy throws. But his main yardage came on a blown coverage. Like... The the the, the Sterling Shepard touchdown was a blown coverage. Mm-hmm. A lot of, another big play was on a screen. Like those aren't those aren't plays he's making. Those are plays that Mike Kafka and Dayball made. The blown coverage wasn't. And give Jones credit for throwing it down there. So I, I think you got to be really careful. Like I don't know how how the Giants are favored against anybody. Look, they played their asses off against the Tennessee Titans, but that game shouldn't have been close. I mean, Tennessee should have, they're up 13 to nothing at the half, you know, and they should have really kind of been able to put them away, and, and they just couldn't do it. You know, they just got themselves into a trap. They couldn't spring that one long gain out of Henry, and they didn't make enough yards after the catch with their receivers, which is what they have to do. They got Hilliard involved in the passing game. He caught two touchdown passes on, on basically mismatching on the Giants' secondary. So I, I think this is going to be – it'll be interesting to see how Carolina responds. Can this defensive line play better against a giant offensive line that they should be able to put pressure on Jones? And if you make Jones – here's what I think we're going to talk about on Monday. If Daniel Jones is in 15 or more third downs, 15 oh. or more, the Panthers win. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Jones, I, I, don't, I, I don't know why Carolina is an underdog in this game. Uh, I guess we'll find out on Sunday, but I'm going to bet on the Panthers at some point between now and kickoff. Let's keep cruising along some of these Week 2 games on Sunday. Bucks and the Saints. This is going to be a really fun one. Tom Brady 0-4 against New Orleans in his time in Tampa since 2020. In the regular season, Bucks 2.5-point favorites, total 44. The betting market has favored New Orleans in this matchup. Do you? No. I think, to me, Brady spent all his offseason uh, you know, just looking at Dennis Allen and trying, not making sure that Dennis Allen doesn't screw him up. You know, and I and I think when you watch their defense last week, and I'm willing to throw it out the door because Atlanta did some different things that they weren't mm-hmm. ready for. So I'll get you that. But to me, these games in New Orleans are always high scoring. They're always high scoring. And New Orleans at left tackle right now isn't where they need to be. They they need to get better. You know, they need Hurst is over there playing left tackle. That that's that's gonna be hard for Winston. And Winston's did a good job of protecting the football. I like the matchup. I like Bowles going against Carmichael, I know that they beat him down there last year, but the different quarterback, I like that matchup, and, and I like that Brady will have a better plan this week against Dennis Allen. I know they're always close games. I know they're always close games. I think they'll always come down to a field goal. So, you know, I'll, I would take Tampa and lay the points, figuring they'll win by a field goal. No Chris Godwin in this game. He suffered the hamstring but injury now, against the Cowboys. All these picks I give out are just on Thursday. They're not official. They're not my official yes. picks. So I don't want to like like I'm leaning towards Tampa, but I have changed my mind on Saturday after I do after the injury report comes out and after I kind of continue to do studies. So I'm le- I should say I'm leaning towards Tampa as it is right now because I when I look at my board, Femi, I look at my board. I have this as a four point nine five game. Okay, that's a big discrepancy between the current line sitting at two and a half. And just for the record, for the folks who might have missed it on Monday, your picks will be where, Michael? My picks will be in Bill AD's newsletter that comes out after. You can listen to him on our show on Sunday, the Lombardi line from 10 to 12. Or if you want to subscribe to the email, just get the email. They'll come out right after the show at 12 o'clock. All right, let's keep cruising. Patriots, two-point favorites against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Total of 40. Mac Jones appears to be healthy. He's all good to go. TJ Watt will be out for at least six weeks, they're saying, with the pectoral injury. Najee Harris expected to also gut it out as well, dealing with the foot. Well, I mean, look, I, 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 New England's offense moved the ball. They couldn't finish off on drives. Their backs are to the wall. This is a game they've got to win. Their schedule gets even harder. Pittsburgh's offense was, to me, a bunch of loose plays, trick plays. It's a college. I mean, you know, I love my man Matt Canada. Opened up the first play of the game with a with a tight end, fake tight end, un, with a tight end under. Remember, he used to do that <laughs> pit all the time. No one loves the tight end under more, more than Matt Canada, you know. But I think what he's doing is running a college offense because he's given, really, he's given Trubisky one read throw it like you're either throwing it here or throw it away mm-hmm. uh i thought new england's defense played better I, I lean towards new england here i think their defense could create some mistakes out of trubisky i think they know who trubisky is they got to keep him in the pocket yeah this game was a pick em earlier in the week i bet the patriots i get the better coach i get the better quarterback it's sometimes it's that simple i'll take new england in a spot where nobody really wants them after they didn't look that great against miami speaking of miami 
Dolphins taking on the Ravens over in Baltimore. The Ravens right now three and a half point favorites, total of 45. But Michael, get this stat. Tua Tungavailoa is 4-0 against Bill Belichick and 7-1 against Super Bowl winning head coaches, including Belichick, John Gruden, and Sean Payton. It's Tua time, Michael. Man, I mean, don't, you can't slow him down. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, th- those New England games are probably one of Belichick. I mean, they're one of the few. I think you have to go a long, long way to see New England consistently, consistently, here's the key word, consistently turn the ball over like they have done against Miami in the last three games. Mm-hmm. Like, you, this, has been, this has been a problem. This is a big problem. They t- keep continue to turn the ball over against Miami, and so Miami wins, and Tua has this wonderful stat. I think it's going to be fascinating to see how Baltimore pressures Tua. Uh, can the offensive line hold up? I, didn't, yes. I wasn't impressed with Baltimore's offense at all last week, and especially now at left tackle. I don't know if Ronley Stanley's playing. I mean, to me, this is a no play for me. I had the line at Baltimore at like a three-point favorite, which is what it is, 3-6-8. I think there's a lot of questions you can't answer today. The offensive line for the Dolphins is a question mark there. Austin Jackson got hurt last game. Teron Armstead, who we've talked about quite a bit, being injury prone, he got hurt as well in this game. So they could be down both of those starting offensive tackles, which is not a good sign when you're going on the road. Last game I want to touch on, Michael, my beloved Dallas Cowboys. Dak Prescott out with a thumb injury for six to eight weeks. Jerry's saying four weeks, but we know Jerry's just BSing us. The Cowboys, seven-point underdogs against the Cincinnati Bengals. Bengals trying to bounce back after the overtime loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Total 41 and a half. Can Cooper Rush keep it Well, close? I mean, look, the, the Bengals' <laughs> offensive line was a disaster last week. I, I yeah, think if was. Dallas plays this game not to lose, they got a chance to cover this number. I mean, this is a game that has to be strategized. Mike McCarthy's got to go in there and say, look, we got to run the football. we got to play action pass. we got to give Cooper a lot of plays. We're going to play it close. we got to get our defense to create some turnovers. we got to win the field position game. And we got to keep this game under 20 points. And we got to make sure Chase doesn't give up a big, give a big play. Force the ball to Tyler Board. Force the ball to Higgins somewhere else. we got to tackle really well. Curse is out in the secondary for them. I think they got to play a complete game. Right now, this is going to really, from this point forward, People say it's unfair for McCarthy because losing Dak, but this is where McCarthy has to be a head coach. Yep. And how do I want to pace this game? I got to pace the game. How do I win this game? You win this game by converting third and short because you're going to be in a lot of them, right? You're not going to make a lot of explosive plays. You got to do what Seattle did in the first half is find ways to create easy throws for the quarterback. And then you've got to have a fourth quarter plan. It's doable. I lean towards I lean towards towards Dallas and hey taking now. the points. <laughs> I just don't. I don't think they'll win, but I, I lean towards taking the points. I mean, a seven-point road home dog. I don't know how you how do you not bark on that one, fam. I, I, have, I can't get there quite yet, but if it gets back to seven and a half, eight and a half, we'll see what happens between now and kickoff. Also, I like the point that you made about Mike McCarthy. It's put up or shut up. You had your injury mulligan season in 2020 when Dak snapped his ankle. I don't care anymore. Like you got to find a way to keep this team at 500. If you can't do that, let's call Sean Payton. Yep. Get him in here in 2023. Will Sean take the job? That's the question. Sounds like he wants to go to Miami. Who knows? (laughs) All right, Michael, that does it for this week's edition of the GM Shuffle. Also, thank you to our producer, Stephen Bond, as always, and the ones and twos. Thank you to DraftKings. Thank you to VEASAN. Thank you to you, Michael. And we'll talk on Monday where we'll recap all of week two and then have two Monday night football games, Titans, Bills, and also the Vikings and Eagles, which I'm very, very much looking forward to, Michael. I'll talk to you then.